0: the biggest difference I'd say for us as medical professionals, you can start now by practicing your peripheral awareness. So even if you're not on the streets or not at um, an event, you can start by, um, you know, walking down a hospital ward or your clinic setting and just trying to practice what's in your periphery, being constantly aware of where someone's going, what they're wearing, trying to look at a situation, say, okay, how many nurses are here? How many patients? What are the different people here? Um, so that you're constantly learning how to look at something and read it immediately. Um, so that's a skill that takes time to develop, but it's, it's, it's easy to develop once, once you know that you need it. Um, so Noah is going to talk a little bit more about situational awareness.
1: Yeah, so in our role as street medics, we kind of uh, have to start thinking of ourselves as professional observers. We want to uh, be reading uh, not just the, the situation and the immediacy, but look at what folks are prepared for. Are the police wearing, you know, shorts and T-shirts, no helmets, no riot gear, or are they all dressed for, you know, combat situation, full gas mask, helmets, heavy armor? Uh, and what are the protesters? You know, what are they doing? Are they, you know, walking, chanting, you know, high-spirited, are they peaceful? Are people, you know, uh, uh, pissed off? Are people, you know, jubilant? What's the spirit of the crowd? Um, we need to be constantly kind of observing this for change. You know, oh, here are some examples of a peace vigil and a second-line style protest in New Orleans that uh, are generally very safe. You know. Crowds jubilant or solemn. Uh, uh, there's a big, diverse crowd. You know, this one had like a police escort. Um, here we start seeing situations where, like, you don't see any gas, you don't see any clubs, but clearly there's some crowd crunch, some pushy, pushy, chubby, chubby starting to happen. And you don't want to be in the middle of the crowd as a medic, right? In here, these might be patient, future patients, and you don't want to become a future patient. And you know. Oh, uh, some of our first check-ins, one, am I safe? Two, is my buddy safe? You know, three, then we start looking outward. Um, You know, and this fluid nature can change quickly. You know, Uh, uh, moments before this picture was taken, this whole intersection was filled with people. This is what's left after a lot of tear gas, rubber bullets, and uh, kinetic munitions were deployed with one individual left kneeling. So from this picture, all you see is, you know, maybe the roadrunner just went out of frame uh, after robbing this guy. You don't know. Where are the cops? Where are the protesters? We can't see any of this. Uh, So if we're not looking around, if we have this sort of tunnel vision that the media can get on, like the action, then we're going to fail to be able to keep ourselves safe in this uh, fluid, dynamic situation, and we're going to fail to be looking for our patients. You know, where do the patients go? where are quiet patients you know these quiet patients you know the asthma patient who got tear gassed and hit in the chest with a tear gas cancer isn't going to be the people calling for medic they're going to be the one curled up next to a car trying to breathe Uh, so it's important especially if you're choosing to be in in closer to the action that as the crowd evacuates or pulls back from police violence medics are slow in that retreat and almost cover that retreat so the injured or the stragglers who may be injured at the end do not get targeted, do not get left uh, wounded, laying out there uh, uh, without care. Um, so we want to position ourselves for this kind of optimal uh, response. And we want to look at some of these kind of basic police tactics. These are not, you know, new cutting-age tactics. These are very old tactics that have been used, uh, some of them, for centuries. Uh, and it, gaining simple understandings of some of these tactics, you could see where police were loaded, uh, uh, lining up to attack a crowd. Uh, here we see, you know, a crowd maybe marching. They might, you know, be at the the city hall or whatever, or the police station facing it, and then more police are brought in behind them to kettle them and catch them all, or chase them off to the either other side. Um, you'll also see this you know they'll try and pinch people in They'll they'll try and come down opposite ends of the block to try and force people uh you know in this situation they're coming from the east and the west and uh, they want people to move you know north and south out of that area uh um you can go to the next slide Rupa. uh encirclement this is kettling you know this is this is uh, uh you know we see this we saw this in dc the other night where they push people into residential neighborhoods to try and uh, mass arrest people, to so get them surrounded and arrest as many people. We saw this in Chicago, where they uh, lifted the bridges before, right before curfew, so people couldn't leave, and they arrested over 1,000 people. Uh, this kind of scheduling, uh, we need to be aware of uh, and be mindful of, uh, especially you know, a lot of folks here. I'm sure I know have medical licenses that may or may not uh, hold up to uh, criminal charges. Uh, so this, like, if you see these things starting to happen, is when you and your buddy got to choose whether you stay or go, um, and what your where where your situation is. There's excellent footage of medics treating from uh, the end of Occupy Wall Street as the police surrounded them with other medics throwing their Uh, medic kits over the police into the medics treating inside because they were running out of gear Uh, so again there's a place for us everywhere barricades barricades are awesome in my opinion they're like a public health thing they help prevent injuries Um, static barricades uh, help really uh, uh, minimize the injuries from kinetic attacks like rubber bullets uh, or beanbag rounds uh, and so a smaller number of people can hold a space, especially if there's a choke point there, too. Um, police will also use these same techniques. Yeah? Uh, they will move in police vehicles so they can you know, make a, a choke point so, so people can't continue down uh, the street without passing a small group. This is a way a small group can hold a lot more ground and hold off a much bigger group. Um, if you see the police forming up into a big triangle you're probably gonna want to step to the side because they're about to rush in and go through this whole crowd and then they're gonna spread out and grab and try and drag as many folks back within their line for arrest teams if folks just run away, then you just see them running down the street, chasing a big crowd, and their formation will break up. Uh, but this is a primary attack formation when the police are going to rush a crowd. Uh, this is uh, shows some good example of covering an escape. You want to be this person, but this group uh, right here of the last four may be a group of medics slowly retreating with injured people uh, or keeping an eye on this last potential patient we have uh, who's still standing off while others are able to to move away to safety from the advancing line.
0: So um, when you encounter someone who needs help um, the same that we encounter in clinical medicine obviously apply. You approach a patient when it's safe for you to approach. You introduce yourself and you are also very honest about your level of skill. So who you are, what what role you play. And then you ask for permission to help them. And this is actually a very important um, thing. I know it's, you know, when you see someone traumatized, you might assume that everyone wants your help. It's also important to remember that um, many people in these movements right now struggling for their own health, um, black, brown, and indigenous community, the medical community hasn't always been their best friend. Um, And so there might be a degree of skepticism or not wanting you to help. Um, So getting that clarity, um, introducing clearly who you are, why you're there, and um, asking for permission to help is extremely important. Then you're gonna explain what you're going to do. Um, So if you see that they've been, you know, like with this picture, um, they might have just been sprayed with uh, pepper spray that you're going to help wash out their eyes and you're gonna explain what you're going to use and how you're going to do it. And then as quickly as you can, after treating them appropriately and stabilizing them, you're gonna move them to the next level of care. You're gonna get them out of um, where they are, um, get them safe and move them on. Really important tips um, to consider and what I've really loved and see as in this work as a lifetime of learning for myself is the deep place of cultural humility um, that street medicine offers um, medically trained professionals like physicians especially, to really understand the colonial roots of um, Western medicine, um, how Western medicine developed at the same time as colonial expansion, and was often used as a justification of colonization of um, indigenous lands um, from Africa to India to um, Turtle Island here. And so understanding that um, really can shift and change how you practice to more intensely center patients and their histories um, and their um, social context. Um, So this is what um, many of us in this work are calling decolonizing medicine. This is part of the work of decolonizing medicine to take the amazing training and tools and gifts of Western science and what we are learning and to meld them with practices from indigenous cultures um, in places that have greater sense of cultural humility to create a, a new way of practicing. When you're out there, you should assume trauma. So especially right now, many black and brown people are traumatized by what they've seen. Um, They're traumatized by the history of oppression. Again, policing started um, as a way to return runaway slaves and to keep indigenous people under control. And so the legacy of police violence for these communities, um, especially when you think of also Latinx communities and ICE raids and you know, putting children in cages. These are all very traumatic experiences for these communities. So it's important when you're there to understand that you're dealing with people who are highly traumatized um, by prior events. And then if in the protest, they've then encountered police violence themselves, they're re-traumatized. So we have several layers of historical and current um, trauma. It's really important to practice trauma-informed care. Um, if you don't know about this, you can, you can read about it. But this is um, absolutely essential in this work that we're doing. Next thing I just want to say is, um, it goes along with humility, is don't assume you're in charge. So Noah um, has way more years in street medicine than I do. I have way more years in the hospital. If you were to walk into the hospital and start ordering people around, I'd tell them to sit down and shut up. And that's what he tells me if I do the same on the street. So it's about context. I'm not in charge there. I'm there to learn. And I'm um, there to learn what best ways I can translate my clinical skills. And when you can work in partnership, make friends with street medics, um, make friends with other people doing this work, um, you will learn immensely quickly. And also it will be a rewarding kind of learning that you can then bring back into your work in the hospital. And in the clinic, this will serve you in how you treat people. Um, I believe if everyone in medicine had the opportunity to work with communities struggling for health and justice in this way, we might not see the same level of um, medical racism continuing in our own clinical spaces. So this is deeply anti-racist work, and um, it's a part of a lifelong journey for us. And I'll just end this section. Actually, Noah, maybe you can end this section, because you're the one who told me this expression, to lead by following. He told me this at Standing Rock. Uh,
1: yeah. It's a, a saying that we took to heart down in New Orleans uh, when we were doing our immediate response. It's a, a phrase that, uh, as far as I'm aware, comes from the Zapatista communities. And it's to lead by following. Um, we're, we're going to help people. You know, they're not necessarily seeking our care in the streets we we're not necessarily of the communities being affected we're coming to show our solidarity so we have to lead by asking what is it you want us to do you know like many things you know some street medics who show up at, like ready for like war when it's a vigil is it gonna really calm people down what do the medics know that we don't know you got to ask your local organizers, ask your community, you know, what it is, what level of engagement you want from the medics, uh, and you you follow that. You know, we don't, um, we're not doctors, we're not nurses out in the street. You know, we don't have anyone at the front of the building getting informed consents for us. Everything we do, we have to engage our patients in informed consent all the way through it. We don't get a quick sign-off and it goes in their chart yeah we're restoring people's agency to continue to be brave in the streets is what is often asked of us and so we follow the lead of those brave folks who are out there taking risks trying to create this better world uh, and we follow their leadership Uh, uh, and that's how we know to be brave and how we can help as medical professionals is uh, uh, our leadership role as healthcare providers in society can be powerfully uh, shown in solidarity situations. Saw a video of a, a hospital in New York yesterday where the medical workers in their full PPE came out to applaud the George Floyd protesters who were marching by. That's the solidarity, that's the powerful things we can do when we work together, but we are not there to lead. As medics in the street, we're not there to tell people what to do. We're there to, to support the people who are there doing it.
0: So with that, um, we're going to take a little break. Um, This is the album cover from my last album, which came out in 2019. And um, the artwork is by a fabulous San Francisco artist, Mona Caron. Um, You can see on there of the individuals, there's my bandmates. Um, There's also San Francisco legend Guillermo Gomez-Pena, who co-wrote this Declaration of Human Rights. Um, with me that we're going to share while we take our break. There's also a matriarch, Karina Gould, there offering um, a smudge. Um, I was just amazed how much this this album cover looks like coronavirus. I just can't get over it. So we are going to take a break. Um, enjoy the music. We'll be back in about five minutes. Um, go to the bathroom. Do what you need to do. All right.
2: I'm cool. No car, Master of my Declaration of Human Rights. No car, Master of Human Rights. No car, Master of human rights. A Declaration of Human yeah, Rights. No car, Master right. no no of my right. yeah, no Love. Everyone has the right to sleep outside in the streets without punishment, rest in public spaces without being criminalized my Shelters and dwellings, or simply making art without a permit. Everyone has the right to live without fear of being shot by the police, the border patrol, or citizen vigilantes. Everyone has the right to police the police instead of the police policing themselves. We have the right. We need mental crisis to be treated with loving kindness and radical tenderness instead of pills indifference and chains we have the right to live in the city of our choice without a militarized presence That's peace. <laughs> poetry for him Still have their basic human dignity and rights protected by the law. Everyone has the right to disrupt business as usual without punishment to ensure the safety of our food, water, anxiety, and air. Everyone has the right to call this place its indigenous alone
3: name, Yelamu,
2: rejecting the colonial language while supporting our indigenous friends Historical reclamation of land. Everyone has the right to deny the sovereignty, legitimacy, and authority of any institution or entity that does not abide by this Declaration of Human Rights, even if only in the realm of the imaginary.
0: All right, well, we hope y'all are refreshed. Um, We are back.
1: Wonderful. Um, So now we're gonna be moving into our police weapons section. Uh, I'd like to prime that with saying that that overwhelmingly uh, what's in common with all these tactics and weapons that law enforcement chooses to use is that their common factor is they're trying to generate fear and fear is their most powerful weapon. Uh, one of the main goals that street medics have, uh, we do lots of just participant, protester health and safety trainings, which uh, teach people a lot of these same best practices y'all are hearing things, so folks can uh, be informed and knowledgeable about what these weapons are capable of and how we can defend ourselves against them. Um, uh, street medics certainly operate with the understanding that knowledge is power. Uh, And so our goal is to help inoculate people, our trainees and uh, other street medics and brave protesters and protectors uh, to inoculate them against fear. The fear that these police movements uh, generate, the fear that is understandable when, you know, explosive devices and poison gas clouds and exploding things are happening around you. Uh, while there's shouts and noises going on, uh, and so uh, all of that designed to overwhelm the senses and generate a fear-flight response. They don't want they, they don't want you to freeze. They don't want you to fight. They want you to run uh, when they deploy these weapons. They want you to be scared going out in the streets because they have these weapons. Um, if you're interested in a lot of the detailed ins and outs and specifications of a lot of these weapons, uh, the post-up right now is the cover of an excellent zine that was made about 10 years ago uh, that goes into a lot of the very fine specifics, uh, uh, muzzle velocities of these various kinetic projectiles uh, and wattage and amperage of the various electric. Notes. Uh, and that is an excellent resource if you really want to know the ins and outs of this equipment. Uh, moving on to one of the more common things we're seeing uh, is OC spray, you know, gas. Uh, we we promote, yeah. Oh. Sorry, pepper spray. Yeah, OC and pepper spray. Hey, uh, these are usually going to be uh, uh, hand deployed devices. Um, their active ingredient is uh OC early capsicon. Uh, mace is a synthetic variant of that um, you know the symptoms wear off five to 20 minutes uh although folks can re- kind of recontaminate themselves uh you know you want to help people stay calm you yourself want to stay calm if you're the one one uh pepper sprayed um you want to avoid kind of rubbing everything uh spreading it around uh we advise uh, uh an eye flush uh, with well aimed direct pressure. I'm gonna share a, a link to all y'all attendees uh, in the chat to an amazing TikTok video. Um, there you go, it's over on Facebook. Sorry, it's on Facebook. Uh, uh, I'm sure you can find it on TikTok if that's your uh, social media of choice. Um, but this is an excellent one minute demonstration of a good way of approaching, a good way of doing this eye flush, a good basic eye flush, and the ability to do an eye flush on yourself is one of the main things you're going to be using out there in the streets aside from your ability to keep and spread calm uh we also uh for these uh chemical sprays uh ucss has a study out that shows that um acids such as Maalox, uh can help for the skin um i i would avoid or uh, tell you all to be mindful especially on faces if you're just pouring willy-nilly with that first initial pour, give a good wipe so that chemical weapons on the eyes don't get washed down from the forehead to the eyes or into the mouth. Uh, you know, so so rather than just, you know, when you're decontaminating someone's skin, a good wipe, first off, goes a long way to help get these chemical irritants off. And
0: the last um, thing we wanted to correct was that we're, we, we don't, we don't, we don't advise putting milk in your eyes Um, there's also some groups that like to use a liquid um, antacid water solution Um, we think water is probably just the best way to go lots and lots of water
1: another i would also quickly add that uh, milk and uh, the liquid are white uh, and can be left as a marking indication on people of color, or people with more melanated skin, uh, marking them out for potential later arrest if they uh, stink of rotted milk or have white residue from the liquid acid. So that's w- another reason to go with water uh, as a first-choice option.
0: So the next most common, uh, or next common, chemical weapon injury that we see is from CS gas or tear gas. Um, so CS gas um, is outlawed for use in international war by the Geneva Conventions, but somehow um, our police officers are um, entitled to use this upon the people um, in the United States. What worries me, and also I was just wanna give a shout out to Dr. Peter Chin Hong, because I saw his letter um, that right now with COVID, um, you know, CS gas, uh, this tear gas is gonna cause a lot of problems. Um, this is a solid um, substance that gets suspended in air through these canisters. It reacts with the water on your skin and it causes an instant burning within several seconds. Interestingly, this molecule, the mo- the active ingredient, um, activates the um, TRPA1 receptor, which is the same receptor that is activated by mustards and wasabi. It causes tearing of the eye, it causes spasming of the eyelids um, to the point where often people can't even open them. Reactive airways, asthma, cough, um, it also can cause bradycardia. Um, So again, with you have a bunch of people um, coughing right now in close proximity to each other, um, we're going to see a lot more COVID spreading. This is going to be a major aerosolization event. Um, in addition to that, um, there is concern that people who have been exposed to lots of tear gas um, will get develop some inflammation in their lungs and we're, we're seeing that um, inflammation, chronic inflammation or inflammation can make the disease expression more intense. So that is just something to be aware of. Um, it might be for those of us who stay in the hospital a good, clinical questions to ask a person in, in a protest where they've been exposed to CS gas lately. Um, symptoms usually abate when you get someone out of the area and get them into fresh air. Um, they usually last around 20 minutes. Again, you can flush the eyes with water or saline. An important thing is because this is a solid, like, fine powder, um, you can remove your, um, uh, you should remove affected clothes. This is one good reason why you should always bring uh, an extra set of clothes with you. Um, also with this, we see injuries from the canisters themselves. So they're shot through these like guns, um, and people have been hit in the head, they've been hit in the eye, um, people have had um, pretty intense injuries from tear gas. What has been um, exciting and inspiring is watched watching how the Hong Kong protesters um, last year were neutralizing these tear gas canisters. Um, they were wearing gloves, they grabbed a canister, And stuck it in a um, water bottle where they closed it and shook it and basically um, put out the fire that um, is um, igniting um, the substance in order to suspend it into the air. Um, There was some questioning about whether there was water in the water bottle. um, And some of the Hong Kong protesters responded that it was actually mud. They had like a mud slurry in there. They shook, um, put the canister in, closed the water bottle and shook it and then poured out this sludgy mess. Um, which, you know, I think is an, an interesting approach.
1: All right. Kinetic injury injuries. We've been seeing a lot of these in the, the past week. Um, this is, uh, one of the more common designs of rubber bullets. Uh, this is in fact, technically called a sponge grenade. It's not actually made out of rubber or, um, but we've seen, you know, these have cracked people's skulls. These have cracked people's ribs. Uh, these are flying fast enough to, to uh, they've caused eye loss in several people. Um, similar uh, with other fired rounds, uh, the pepper ball gun, uh, back, I forget uh, uh, when it was that Boston Red Sox won the, the championship. Uh, but a young fan, Victoria Snellgrove, was killed by a police officer when she was shot in the eye at close range by a pepper ball gun, um, which is, so a lot of eye injuries because a lot of these officers, a lot of these kinetic weapons, like uh, rubber baton rounds, rubber bullets, uh, are designed to actually be shot at the ground to, to skip off the ground and hit people in their lower extremities, causing injuries to incapacitate them so they can be arrested. What we've been seeing law enforcement doing instead, however, is they're targeting people's heads, which is outside of the protocol that they're supposed to be using in most departments. Uh, And as we can see here from comrades in Chile, they can cause uh, eye loss from these injuries. And we're seeing a lot of that. I saw a young man from Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, lost his eye when he was hit in the eye with a rubber bullet and his actual eyeball uh, ruptured and he had to have it surgically removed and has lost his eye. Um, so so these kinetic injuries uh, uh, are important. These come out of, you know, uh, uh, large 4-millimeter um, guns. So if you see something that looks like the Terminator, if you're not familiar uh, with guns, something like Arnold Schwarzenegger shoots and blows things up with, that's what these things come out of. Uh, also, if you see shotguns uh, that are primarily bright kind of safety orange, those have beanbag rounds, which is lead shot wrapped in uh, uh, a little piece of cloth or Kevlar. Uh, I just saw, I believe it was Dallas, maybe it was Houston, a young person had their skull cracked just the other night when he was shot close range with one of these devices. Uh, I should note that uh, these devices are now called less lethal weapons in Two decades ago, they were called non-lethal weapons because they claimed they couldn't kill people with this stuff, but police, in their egregious and irresponsible use of these uh, pieces of equipment, have found that they are more than capable of killing individuals with any number of these devices, so many of them, uh, when inappropriately used, do have the capacity for fatal injury.
0: So the one kind of injury, um, again, with these rubber bullets, in addition to being shot at the face, um, they get shot at the chest. And at close range, there's a case report of um, death through exsanguination from pulmonary artery rupture. I included the link below. Um, And when I was at Standing Rock, I saw a young man who actually had a very similar contusion on his chest wall, who came um, back from the front line and and ended up coughing uh, about a cup of dark red blood into his hands. Um, and so these, uh, these weapons are intense um, and um, these people need to be stabilized and taken to a higher level of care immediately.
1: All right, stem grenades. These are another uh, um, device that have caused uh, permanently maiming injuries uh, and certainly have the potential for causing fatal injuries. These these are devices that uh, are typically used in breaching buildings by tactical teams. Uh, They set off an extremely high decibel bang as well as a very bright incendiary burst, to uh, hopefully blind and overwhelm the hearing, disorienting people to allow for uh, uh, the tactical team to overwhelm them with their force or in protest situations for uh, police to rush in and detain many people uh, while they're disoriented or uh, further harm people while they're disoriented. Um, we've seen from Standing Rock that one of these caused a grievous injury to our comrade, Sofia uh This is after multiple surgeries uh, at what is uh, pretty much as repaired as her limb is going to be able to get. Uh, no litigation has happened yet against the police departments that deployed this because the shrapnel that was taken from her wound was taken by the FBI as evidence against her, uh, but was found to be uh, one of the parts of one of these devices, uh, but has not been released to legal teams. Um, so this was life uh, uh, near limb losing injury. This is a baby who one of these devices landed in their crib uh, when a SWAT team was using a no-knock warrant. Uh, Here is another example of someone who had one of these devices burst at head level near them. And again, these are devices that are supposed to be, you know, rolled across the ground or skittered across the ground uh, to happen at ground level to avoid these sorts of potential injuries. Uh, these are another really, really nasty one. These are completely overwhelming. These not only have the bright flash and super loud decibels, these have rubber pellets in them as well as CS, powdered CS, uh, powdered tear gas. Uh, so they not only uh, explode with an extraordinarily loud noise and pyrotechnic burst, they also release a chemical irritant and small rubber bullets. Uh, We saw during the student demonstrations up in Quebec a few years back that a number of people also lost eyes from these, again, because these are supposed to be used to uh, injure lower extremities, ideally uh, to incapacitate people. But when police lob these overhead uh, so they detonate at head level, there's potential for fatal and maiming injury. All right, uh, here's some other, you know, uh, common causes of kinetic injuries. Uh, we see here on the left, uh, baton charges. Uh, de- depending on the police department, some uh, police departments that are more professional have learned to uh, only jab at solar plexus level or hit lower extremities when they're in close quarters with the crowd, rather than that classic overhand swing uh, from, you know, the '68 National Convention uh, that looks like they're just golfing protesters. They do that purely for PR reasons. Uh, you know, good jab with one of these to the solar plexus, especially at the xiphoid process, can be a, a, a potentially lethal injury. Um, horses uh, horses are commonly misabused by police departments as weapons. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. Like Getting stepped on by a horse sucks. Um, especially when they do it, ride them through uh, uh, seated protesters. Uh, We've also seen a number of instances of vehicular attacks on demonstrators. Uh, uh, Charlottesville, obviously, you know, there's a fatal attack. Myself and other uh, medics were there treating the previously injured. And we're even giving kudos by uh, local rescue because every patient was being attended to by the time EMS was allowed there. But we first were approached by riot cops and tanks Uh, before they would come in and treat the injured this is again why it's so important uh, to have yourselves placed within the protest bounds rather than outside Um, and here we see the police using their vehicles as a weapon in New York Uh, similarly we saw in Minneapolis the driver of a tractor trailer full of fuel try and run down a protest of thousands of people after driving around police barricades all right Tasers. I want to give a big shout out to UCF's cardiology department because I hear they've kept uh, tasers out of the hands of the San Francisco Police Department, uh, and that's great. Tasers are awful weapons. These are weapons uh, uh, that are, you know, modulated from old cattle prods uh, to, to either be deployed uh, directly with a handheld device or even riot shields come with electrical uh, uh activators so they can push in shock. Um, what we're most common seeing is the, the Taser International tasers, which shoot 2 barbed projectiles that are designed to go up through up to an inch of clothing uh, and then deliver an extraordinarily powerful shock uh, to just cancel out our body's own like, electrical, chemical uh, communication with itself. So you seize up, sometimes they scream, and then they all tend to fall over. Uh, which is important when we're assessing patients who have been tased, that we find those impaled objects. So I've had to pull an impaled object, an impaled uh, taser barb out of an individual's face in the field. So we had to assess very carefully for where it was uh, for any possible vascular involvement uh, as well as uh, nerve involvement because we didn't want to cause any airway problems. Uh, similarly they fell so there's uh, that kind of fall injury they might have broken an elbow cracked a head uh, also they've usually had their their uh, metabolism their electrolytes gone to shit uh, and so you want to monitor them for up to eight hours uh, to 12 hours afterwards the possible dysrhythmias and cardiac events um, the LRAD straight out of sci-fi the long-range acoustic device these are square devices Uh, that are technically public announced systems so uh, sometimes you'll see a smaller version hanging off a white shirt officer's shoulder while they read out the orders to disperse Uh, these are also deployed on um, armored vehicles to use as a dispersal device Uh, they use very uh, high-pitched sound waves and sound projected directly uh, to, you know, just be painful, cause headaches. Um, uh, there, there's still uh, audiologists I've spoken to about this have been horrified that they deploy these willy-nilly. Um, but this is another device we're seeing lots of places, lots of police departments have them. Uh, and, you know, you can wear earplugs, decibel-reducing earplugs are one thing. Thing, uh, and they also come out at a, a specific angle that you can look up in that Excited uh, Delirium zine, uh, what that angle is. And you could just step kind of outside that angle, and then it's just like some bad EDM that they're playing. You know, it's just a bad, you know, it's, if you listen to punk or loud music, you'll be fine just like, you know, 10 feet to the side. But if you're directly in front of it, boy, is that loud.
0: So the other um, last injury we'll touch upon is psychological injury, um, both for our patients that we're treating, like we spoke about before, but then also for ourselves. there's a lot of chaos in these protests. Um, the weapons, like Noah described, are meant to create psychological fear um, as well as um, physical harm.
4: Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm.
5: Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Counter Offer, baby. Oh,
4: Bob? You ever wanna be funny?
2: Well my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl.
4: Well I mean you ever wanna be like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants?
2: Oh shit. From time to time I've been giving it a thought or two.
4: You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two people's paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious?
2: that's
4: what I'm saying, it's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! 4
6: Tired of paying too much for your internet? Contracts and hidden fees got you down? Tired of supporting the same big cable companies that lobby against a free and open internet? Get Monkey Brains. Monkey Brains is a local internet provider who doesn't sell your data, bind you down with contracts, or trick you with hidden monthly fees. We're honest, local, and 100% net neutral. Residential internet for only 35 a month. Business packages starting at 75 a month. Go to monkeybrains.net and sign up today.
4: Streaming live the station. MutinyRadio.fm Mutiny District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm. Mutiny MutinyRadio.fm Mutiny Listen to live.
5: Good evening there my friends here at mutinyradio.f and Chester Cashcock here and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there and uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday But if you can't make it to Mutiny Randy, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all.
3: great how about yourself
6: i'm hanging
3: in there i can get you as loud as i can right now so we're about to go live in about two minutes okay we got an exciting hour ahead of us nice hey did you hear that uh gavin newsom just lifted that we're going to be able to get in bars next week on friday wow yeah that just changed i think i don't know it's hard to keep up yeah yeah so we're going to go live in about a minute
6: okay you want me to call back
3: Oh, no, this is perfect. Yeah, I'm going to welcome you on this show here.
6: Nice.
4: Diamond Dave still there?
3: You know what is? I've seen him around here. Yeah. Thanks for
5: having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm stoked.